Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 1, I'm sorry. As we begin our, our, our Advent series, we're, we're, um, we're focusing on Emmanuel, God with us, the title of Jesus, and what it means that Jesus has come near, the incarnation of Christ. We'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. Start with John chapter 1, verse 1. This is John's version of the Christmas narrative and the creation narrative. John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Some years ago, I heard a speaker give a presentation on, on the biblical view of creation versus the worldview of evolution. And he, the speaker took this text of John chapter 1, the verses we just read, verses 1 through 5, And these verses give a picture of the, the nature and divinity, divinity of Jesus as the source of life and light. And, and the speaker took it and rewrote it in the terms of evolutionary thought. For the life of me, I can't remember the exact words. I wish I could. I, I've looked for years to try to find how he did that. But it was, it was amazing. Amazing. And in his revision of this passage, rewriting it in terms of evolution, he captured the absurdity of evolution as compared to the great truths of the word as the creator of all things. He started off something like this, and I, I, I won't be, do it justice, but he started off like this. In the beginning was inanimate matter. And the matter somehow transformed into life through chance happenings and transformed matter became the source of life. And I don't think I captured it exactly, but that's the idea. You get the idea. His translation of the passage went on, and it was much more precise than I'm able to communicate to you today. I wish I'd written it down. But that idea has always stuck with me. Over the ages, we've done all we can to rewrite the profound truths penned by the Apostle John in these passages. Truths about the glory and the divinity of Jesus Christ. So and let's ask ourselves, how have we rewritten these truths? Well, evolution says in the beginning was inanimate matter or nature. The Enlightenment period has brought us in the beginning was logic and reason. Eastern mysticism, and sorry for any Star Wars fans, but the film series Star Wars has brought us in the beginning was the, the force. Most recently, the constantly changing worldview that goes on around us has, has said this, in the beginning was feeling and emotion. Each of these emphases has, has, has asserted a, a primacy in our thought and our motives. It drives us. For example, today we, 
we dare not challenge a misguided or confused gender identity because someone's feelings trump biological truth. And so we go on, and so we continue. In the beginning was fill in the blank, and fill in the blank was God, small g. But try as we may, we can't dislodge the truths that, that so precisely pointed out the truth of Jesus Christ. The Advent season, in preparation for the marking of Christ's birth at Christmas, we'll, we'll study this, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. In John's Gospel, without using the word or the title of Emmanuel, focuses on the fact that God in Jesus Christ has come near and is walking among us, has walked among us. As we consider this great truth, we'll focus on what it means that Christ has come near. Today we'll start our journey with an with a, a exploration, a study of, what, of John's introduction into these great truths. So the first thing we want to look at today is that Jesus is the Word. The first three verses. In the beginning was the Word. John probably wrote these words after he wrote the gospel. He chose his words carefully for his audience. I'm not sure it was intentional or not, but John has taken the Christmas narratives of the other gospels and combined them with the account of creation from Genesis 1 and 2. His introduction of Jesus gives us a glimpse into his pre-creation glory, and the critical importance that Jesus, the very word of God, the logos of God, has taken on human form and come into our world. English, the English language doesn't quite capture the full meaning of John's thoughts here. So let's, let's, do, a, let's do a drive-by of some of the key thoughts in this passage. First of all, Jesus is the word. Logos is the Greek word for it. In, in Greek philosophy, this word portrayed the First cause, the initial thing that caused every, everything to exist. It indicated the great, the unknown, the intelligent reason, the will and the power behind the, all of the universe. That's what Lagos would have said to the, the original audience. They would have known that this idea was referring to God. So John knew this definition and he chose his words carefully. He had the courage to say that this Jesus, the simple carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus who the world hated, rejected, and crucified, was in fact the Lagos of the entire universe. Jesus, this Lagos, is the source of all wisdom and power. It was this Jesus who was the Lagos from the beginning, and it was he who took on our nature so that he could reveal God to us. Jesus is the Lagos. He goes on to say, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John uses the same words and ideas about God as those used by Moses in Genesis chapter 1. But there's a difference here. Moses started with creation and then moved forward. John hearkens us to creation, and then he moves backwards, and he causes us to gaze into, into, into the glory of Jesus Christ before creation. 
He causes us to gaze in the personal, intimate relationship between the Father and the Son, between the Lagos and the Father. This relationship of eternal Father and eternal Son is foundational in all of John's gospel. The Word is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Note the past tense use. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was from the beginning. He continues to exist today. Before all of creation, there was Jesus. John 8, 58, Jesus proclaimed, before Adam, before Abraham was, I am, referring to God who is eternal. This beginning is not that of creation, but, but the time when there was no time. You see, there was no beginning, only eternity in the presence of the Father presence of the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Lagos has always existed with the Father. If that doesn't keep you up at night, I don't know what will. If that doesn't cause you to have a headache, I don't know what will. We can't comprehend no beginning and infinity. John goes on to say the word was with God. The Greek text is, is more powerful in describing this idea. It suggests a very personal intimate relationship with two people, between two people. It's a communion between two people of very distinct personalities. It's not that God and Jesus are the same person. They're not. But they're different persons, but they're in intimate communion with one another. The Trinity. It's been described this way. What God was, the Lagos was as well. All through the gospel, we see how Jesus shows us this relationship with his Father. He seeks time with the Father. He seeks the Father's will on every matter. He goes where the Father leads him, even to the cross. And his greatest agony was when he hung on the cross and the Father turned his face away as Jesus bore the sin of the world. You see, John takes us into the very heart of God, the deepest revelation of the word before creation, the logos is God. The Lagos shares all the attributes of God. He has the same nature, the same essence. He is God. Because of this, Jesus is able to say in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Look again at verses 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word, the logos, was active in creation with God. He was with God the Father in the beginning, during the creation. Verse 3, he was active in creation. The logos brought about creation. He is the foundation of creation. Colossians 1.16 says this, All things were created by him and for him. He created all things, he sustains all things, and all things are for him. Hebrews 1.3 says that all of creation is sustained by his power. Jesus said that he is the life and the light, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John continues to lead us deeper into the heart and the plan of God. Not only was the Lagos with God from the beginning, not only was he working with God in creation, 
But the Lagos, listen to this, the Lagos was life itself. Jesus is life. This life, when given from the Lagos, the very source of life, would bring light into the heart of men. Look at the word life. John uses the word often. He, he refers to the, Jesus refers to the concept 36 different times in John's gospel. Many times it refers to eternal life. And life in this sense encompasses every aspect of our being. It's the fullness of life that God is talking about. It's our, it's our physical, it's our moral, it's our emotional, it's our intellectual life. I mean, think back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Where does man get his life? He's not created in the same way as the rest of creation. He's not created in the same way that the other beasts of the earth were created. How was man created? God breathed life into him. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. See, God and the Lagos are the source of life. The Greek language describes it, and I love this. I, I, this is an easy one to remember. Describes it as the Zoe life. Zoe life. And Zoe means a life that is dynamic. It means a life that is full. It means a life that is abundant. It means a life that is active and proactive. It's not simply existing. Zoe life is a joyful, purposeful, rich life in Jesus Christ. So John 5.21 says this, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. And John would say, in him was life. Look at the word light. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Jesus works in us to lead us into righteousness. When he receives his gift of life, we also begin to walk in his life, light. Even not knowing him, our conscience testifies of his righteousness, his light. John 8, 12 says, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see, many turn away from Christ because they say they want to live life to the full. How many times have you said or have you heard, well, maybe I'll give my life to Christ towards the end of my life because I have too much life to live. But John turns this truth on its head. You see, life as God intends, it's only meant, it's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lagos, the very Word of God. They don't realize that life comes only from the giver of life, comes from the light of the world. Living life to the full with Jesus always means living in the light of his righteousness. John often makes a comparison between light and darkness, life and death. So is the contrast of life with Jesus and without Jesus. The first creative act of God was, was light. But the light was different than the sun or the moon. That came later as, as, as the light. Was the Logos providing the light in the darkness? I think so. In, Revela- in Revelation, we see that the sun and moon are no longer necessary because the Logos will provide the light in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world. And this light is found in the life that he so freely gives to those who call on him. 
to see Jesus as our Emmanuel, the one who has come near, the Christ child born on that Christmas evening, we need to comprehend his eternal glory. That's why John takes us backwards from creation. We need to see Jesus as the life and light of men. Let's keep going. Let's look at Jesus as the Redeemer. Look at the word was. This used several times in this passage, but in verse 4, it seems to indicate a past tense. And what was John thinking? Maybe it was when Jesus was walking among them, or maybe it was the time before the fall of man, when man was in perfect relationship with the giver of life. Maybe it was the time when life and light was unspoiled by sin and was not marked by a broken relationship with the word logos. Could it be, just think about this for a moment, could it be that life and light were taken from, the, from man by the power of sin and the presence of evil? The light of God became less a part of our lives when the darkness came in. I'd like to explore this a little bit with you this morning if I could. Let's, let's consider what John has written here. First of all, God is, is creator. Lagos is the creator of all things. John says, without, without him, nothing was made that was made. We need to understand this. Creation is from nothing. The term is ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. God created everything out of nothing. Stay with me on this. You see, we can't comprehend what it means that God created from nothing. He must have had a rock to begin with. He must have had some molecules of some potion over here. He must have had some, some form or ooze or some kind of material over here that he could begin to work with. But see, if that was true, then that would make God a craftsman and not a creator. God is creator. So we try to explain it away. We try to explain it away with Big Bang theories because it can't come from nothing, so there must have been something. Maybe it compacted down into something so tight and it exploded. I don't know. Maybe we try to explain it by evolution or progressive evolution. But Hebrews 11.3 tells us that the visible order has not been brought about by finite things that are visible. It's very clear about it. God has created by the logos of God, the word of God. He simply spoke it into being. Creation, listen to this, creation doesn't have its origins in matter. Do we un- ex nihilo, it doesn't have its origins in, in matter, in something Creation has its origin in someone. Creation has its origin in the mind of God, in the very thought of God. And the thought of God comes out in the form of a word, and God created by speaking a word, simply speaking it out, and it came to existence. Creation is simply the working out of his design, his idea, his thought, put into finite terms, a finite creation. See, our origin is not in the species. Our origin is in the mind of God. Now stay with me on that, and we'll work this through. 
keep that, package that up and, and put that thought away and we'll come back to it. Now let's keep going. Jesus, the Lagos, is the fullness of man in his human form. Listen to this. As we put this puzzle together this morning, we, we create, God created from nothing, ex nihilo, and now when he creates man, he looks to Jesus Christ, the Lagos, as the fullness of man. You see, Jesus is the ideal of what God intends man to be. Jesus is the representation, and he's the fullness of God. He's the perfect image of what God intends for his creation of mankind to be. When God, when God considers the creation of man, he patterned man and woman after his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we, we tend to think of creation as the starting point of everything. We, how, did it, how did it all begin? How did God create or how did, how, did, how did matter come to be? How did we come to be on this planet, in this universe? We think of creation as the starting point. But listen, creation is not the starting point. Creation is the extension of who God is. It's the extension of what God says existence should be like. It's, creation is giving existence to his ideas, to his design, to his person, to his purpose. Here, listen to that. I, I was reading about this. One author said it, that creation is not, listen to this, creation is not a paroxysm of initiation. Okay? Got that? I didn't get it. I had to go to Webster's. What in the world is a paroxysm? Paroxysm of initiation. You know what I found out when I went to the Webster's? It says a cough or a spasm. Paroxysm is a cough or a spasm. God didn't create just by saying, well, I think I'll just do it today. He didn't say, well, oh, by the way, let's just create something over here. No, this is an intention that God has poured out from his very being. It's not a, it's not a spasm. It's not just a, an instantaneous idea. It's who God is. You see, that's why creation is the revelation that of, of all that God is. Creation, natural revelation is supposed to point us to him, the creator. Creation is a reflection of who God is. It's a natural extension of him. Stay with me. I know this is difficult. It has been for me to wrestle with this, and I'm not sure that I'll explain it very well, but stay with me. The next component in this puzzle is that man was created in the image of God. In this context of God's goodness, in God's perfection, man was created separately from the natural order. He was created in the image of God. Man had the very breath of God, the very breath of life breathed on him by the Lagos himself, the very breath of God breathed into him to give him life. No other creature in all of creation can say that. No other creature can say that they were, they were, they were born of the breath of God or that they had the image of God stamped on their on their nature. To live out this fullness of life and to enjoy his relationship to God, man was placed in a beautiful garden. That's what God gave him. A beautiful garden, a beautiful context, a beautiful environment to live out this relationship with God. 
perfect conditions for life. In addition, man was given a law that would ensure his obedience and his willing submission to God. He was told not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in this context, between the garden, the law, the presence of God, man would enjoy the fullness of life. Man would enjoy immortality. Man would enjoy eternal life in God's presence and in the joy of the Lord. I think of Psalm 27, verse 4. says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. That's, that's what Adam and Eve were enjoying in the garden that God gave to them. Fullness of God, the fullness of life, fullness of light, a purpose lived by him and for him, fullness of life. But we all know what happened, and I don't think it took long We all know what happened. Through the fall, through the entrance of sin into the world, man became mortal. You see, man was created to be without sin. Man was created to be incorruptible. But sin changed immortality into mortality, changed life into death. Sin changed, exchanged the... the, the image of God for a sin nature. What God had intended for Zoe life was now marked by corruption. Sin and death now reigned. And so the question is, the natural question is, how should God handle that? What should God do about that? Okay, are you with me yet? Somebody say yes. Somebody nod your head, let me know you're not sleeping. Okay, good. What would God do about it? Well, he had some options. First of all, he could forget the judgment and death that comes. Remember, he said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death will be there. Death will come. But maybe, maybe in light of this, the judgment could be suspended for a time, and man could just keep going on without death. Maybe God could just let man live. What's wrong with that idea? It's contrary to his word. God cannot operate contrary to his word. God said, this is the law. This is the consequence. This is what will happen. This is my judgment. God cannot operate contrary to his word. Maybe God could just just let man slip away into the corruption. Maybe God could just let man slip away into into the sin and, and the judgment and the death. Maybe God would just let it play out and just let it come to its end. The problem with that is that it would frustrate God's plan, and God's plans always come to be. God's plan always comes to be. So he will not let Satan corrupt his plan. Maybe another thing that God could do is simply to call for repentance. And we know that God does call for repentance. Maybe, maybe if we just said, look, I, if Adam and Eve had just said, you know what? I'm sorry. Doesn't that sound like the children that we once were when when your parents say, now tell your brother or your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. But you see, simply saying I'm sorry, that version of repentance 
doesn't solve the judgment question. It doesn't solve the sin nature that has now come to be part of us through Adam. Scripture tells us that through Adam we all die. We have been born with this sin nature, with this corruption. And simply saying I'm sorry doesn't take away the judgment, sin nature, or my rebellion. So can you see the dilemma? Man has chosen to disregard the life that's offered by God. Man has chosen to renounce, to walk away from the image of God that is stamped on his nature. Scripture tells us that that all of mankind has been impacted by the sin of Adam. That we all have fallen short of the glory of God in our sin. We are lost in the corruption of sin and death instead of the life and the joy of God's presence. Mankind is slipping away in the judgment of sin without something to restore the life and image of God. I'm reminded of the the scene in the, in the movie Pearl Harbor, and, and after the terrible bombing of Tor, uh, Pearl Harbor had taken place, do you remember they were trying to get, they could hear guys in the ships, and they were trying to get them out, but they couldn't get them out. The, the hull, the steel of the hull was too thick. And I remember one poignant scene where, where uh, they had cut a, a small hole in the hull of a ship, and they were trying to save the guys who were in there, and they, but they couldn't get them out. And all you saw was a hand sticking up through the, the hole in the hull. Do, do you remember that scene? And life was slipping away. And there was not a thing anybody could do about it. It was a terrible sense of desperation. As, as men on the outside would just grab a hold of the hand and hold on tight, and then pretty soon you see the hand just go limp. You see, that's, that's a picture of, of where we are with God in our sin. If we choose to walk away, then we're slipping away into the abyss of sin and, and our, our sinful nature and into the judgment that God has for us because we have rejected him. And the image of God in the, that is stamped upon our nature is, is not growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. It's, it's being corrupted and, and moving away from the glory of God. I hope that that makes us feel a sense of desperation this morning. A desperation that comes when we are lost without Jesus Christ, the Logos, the giver of life, the giver of light. We're lost in our sin. We're under judgment. We're destined to an eternity outside the presence and the fullness of God. And if you, and Paul puts this all together in the book of Romans, and he comes to the end of chapter 7, and what does he say? What does Paul say when he talks about, when he builds his whole case for this, the, the, our sin nature and, and how we are desperately lost before God. He says, oh, who will set me free? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this, this body of sin and death? And so we come to Emmanuel, God with us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, brothers and sisters, Emmanuel has come into this tension that we live in. It's not a tension, it's, 
It's a, it's a sentence. We're, we're over here lost in our sin, and by the sin of Adam, we've all been born into this sin nature, and we're all lost over here, and we're, we're, we're stuck in our sin, and it's corruption, and everything is falling. Do I, need to, do, I need to, do I need to testify that the world is falling apart? Do I need to give you evidence of that? I don't think so. We can, we can look outside and we can, we can read the headlines and whether it's some guy on London Bridge that is, is randomly stabbing people, we can look at those visual images of, of sin and the corruption that's going on in the world. But I also want to draw attention to the fact that something so blatant, something so evil that we can picture out of the news headlines also has its roots in, a, in the depths of our heart. You and I need look no further then the line that goes through our heart, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line that goes through our heart between good and evil. I don't need to testify to you about the wickedness that's in your heart because I know it's there in mine as well. That's why the scripture says we're to take every thought captive because our heart is desperately wicked. We're stuck over here. And let me add one other thing. We're stuck in this, in this context of sin and death and rebellion we're stuck in it. We can't get out. There's, there's no solution for us. Let me add one more thing to this puzzle. And that is when we're stuck in this context of sin and rebellion against God, we can't even give a thought to God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. It's only by the grace of God that he sends repentance, that he, that he gives forgiveness, that we can begin to comprehend who God is. You see, I believe part of living in the garden for Adam and Eve was that they enjoyed the abundance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They walked in the garden with him. They enjoyed that relationship. And they could plumb the depths of who God is. They could meditate on him. They could consider him. They could ask him questions. They could, when we're stuck in this corruption of our sin nature, we, we don't even think about God. And the worse it gets, the more we don't think about God. We come over here, and now Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, the Lagos of God, has come near. By his truth, by his grace, by his death on the cross, he took on a body. He took on a physical body so that he could take the punishment for our sins to give us life. And I submit to you, that when we, when we stand redeemed by the Emmanuel, by the Lagos, by Jesus Christ himself, when we receive life from him, we now are set free, not only to enjoy life, to the abundant life that he's given to us, but we're also set free to consider all of who he is. The door swings wide open as to the revelation of who God is. And I can enjoy, I can look on him, I can gaze on the heavens, I can look into his word, I can, I can take in all that God has for me. I can't do it from over there. So what do we do about it? What's our natural response? I, I love the Christmas story. And Darren and Ashley read about it this morning a little bit with Zacharias and, and uh, Elizabeth. How much they must have pondered these things. And Mary and all the characters, Joseph, all the characters of the, of the Christmas narrative, they came, they, they came upon these truths. They came face to face with these truths and they meditated on them and then they obeyed and they fell in worship. I wonder what it was like, I wonder what it was like, and I hope you've experienced this in your life as well, when you come to that moment, that realization, you know what? I'm stuck over here. 
I'm lost in sin and rebellion, but you know what Jesus Christ has done for me? When he turns that light on for us, the response should be worship. And I wonder what it was like for each of them in the, in the Christmas narrative when, when the light came on and, and in the depths of their heart, they understood this great salvation that God has given to us. So what do we do? The Bible calls us to repent. If I'm stuck over here and I can't get out, we have no means to ourselves to get out. We need Jesus Christ. I need to repent. I need to look at it. But not simply say, I'm sorry. You see, we, we, we tend to take this word repent and, and make it just a, oh, I'm sorry, never mind kind of a situation. But it's, it's more than that. It's recognizing that I indeed, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lagos, and he is the one who is from the beginning. He's the one who created me. He's the one who gives me life. He's the one who gives me everything, and without him, I'm lost. And so my first recognition is that I'm lost in my sin, and that I'm guilty, and that the judgment is surely due upon me. And then repentance means that I, I understand that Jesus Christ is the Lagos. I understand that he is my only hope. And I call out to him and I, I confess my sin. I confess my sin nature. I say, I'm lost without you. I recognize that this is indeed a good description of me. But I need the good description of you. I need the Lord Jesus Christ to set me free. That's part of our repentance. And we say, I'm sorry. We, we confess our sins. We say, I need you, Jesus. And then, we, and then we accept him into our lives as Lord and as Savior. And we follow him in obedience. We give our lives to him. And then we walk in the fullness of life with him by his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That's why John went all the way back through the creation narrative. That's why he went all the way back pre-creation for us to know the fullness of Jesus Christ because he is the giver of life. So I repent, and then I worship, and I serve. I just read 2 Corinthians 5.14, but he says, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're called to live for Jesus. And so I pray that this Advent season, as the worship team comes forward, I pray that this Advent season is a time for us to take in these great truths of who God is, what God has done for us, to comprehend Jesus as our Lagos, the very word of God, and to comprehend what he has done for us. May our Advent season be marked by a contemplation of the greatness of Jesus Christ, the word who has come near to us. And then as a response this week, may our lives be marked by worship, by repentance, by worship, by praise, and by obedience. Let's pray. Father, these truths are, are too magnificent for us to take in, that you are, that, that, that Father, you and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, are one and, and you enjoy this communion and you are eternal, no beginning. How do we get our heads around that? And yet you have seen fit to, to create us and to bring us into that unity, that oneness with you and that community. We praise you for it. We praise you that Jesus Christ is our light and our life, our hope and our salvation. May our thoughts be turned to you, Lord Jesus, this week. May our hope be founded in you. May our worship be marked by a profound sense of your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray.